Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. All right. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. It's dark <laughs> out there. It, you know, it is. My goodness, it is. Remember uh, years ago that, that evangelical writer, this, this present darkness? Oh, yeah. Peretti? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was right. It is presently really dark out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he did all the left behind stuff, didn't he? No, that was um, it'll oh, come to me, but a different dude. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> dude, listen to us. A different dude. <laughs> now, Preddy did this present, and uh, oh, I'm sure every listener. I think there were a couple it was, others. There was a yeah. pastor uh, that I yeah, had read. Yeah, I can see his face, but off. Yeah. <laughs> We're too far away from that world. I can't remember anymore. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, today, you know, I, I, was, I think this was maybe two days ago I was reading, and it was you know just before uh, things had settled a little bit with the election. Uh, it, maybe it was even before the, the election, but it was an article talking about the current state of America, looking at, looking at, all of our states and um, what they were using the term divided government, meaning there's some Republicans in, you know, in leadership, either in the, the state Senate or state house um, or the, or the um, Democrats. And just like looking at states that were holistically all blue, you know, uh, a Democrat uh, governor, all, all those versus states that are more divided and had mix of, of red and, and blue. And it was saying, Forgive me for not having a source here. I couldn't couldn't find it, but it was saying something like, um, "This is either the first time in history or the first time in a very very long time that we have been this undivided." Meaning we've had so many solid blue states and solid red states. Mm -hmm. And my heart, you know, just broke reading that. And you know, you you look at that, and and I was looking at this graph in particular, and I cannot help but think, how is this not going to lead to disaster for our country? And, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a great example of the polarization we're at today. Unfortunately, I think many see that as unhealthy, but many don't really know what to do about it. And um, many maybe see that as unhealthy and then are staunchly Republican or staunchly Democrat. So they don't realize they're, they're fueling the fire. Um, I, I, I just thought of these conversations and thought this would be a great topic to bring to Mike. What? You know, what if anything can be done about this? And and thinking about it from, you know, sure as an individual, maybe I can do something or I can act differently. But how, how do you go from there up the institutional chain? You know, of of uh, helping our culture, helping helping America uh, shift. I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts. Thinking all the way from you know me as a as a family man, me as a as a company man, me as maybe I'm a politician, maybe I'm a pastor, can anything be done? 
Good question. Well, let's tackle it. First of all, you said it broke your heart. So I was thinking, sorry, my, I'm 68. So I was saying the Bee Gees song, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? So we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about this morning is How Can We Mend a Broken Heart? Uh, <laughs> it's not where I expected to go, but. <laughs> it must be because it's so dark outside. Uh, in, well, it's it in should, the present. We should break our heart. It, um, yeah, we should grieve. And um, now, Paul reminds us, we can grieve with hope. Mm. Um, but the hope shouldn't be some sort of Pollyannish um, fiddle-faddle. That's not hope. That's um, called optimism. And I love how Stanley Howard was, that old rascal, the professor at UT Austin, he said, hope is a false, uh, optimism is a false virtue. Never read about optimism in the Bible. Um, optimism is some sort of cheery outlook that we do the X, Y, Z and things would get better. Like uh, get someone re elected to the presidency and we'll all be better. Uh, mm. Hope is more uh, rigorous. It's more muscular. And it recognizes things like, um, it, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and this won't be turned around in a day. I, I think also, so we'll mend a broken heart here. Okay. So what were you going to say? I heard you. Yeah. Inhale. <laughs> That's good. How long have you been holding your breath? <laughs> I was going to ask if if there's anything about hope that is is beyond. You know, you said it's it's got more rigor. I was I was thinking. You know, obviously we have more of a faith element to hope in hoping there's you know God is at work or something. But I was just wondering if the part of the difference between optimism and hope is optimism is is more. Um, man, I really. I really want this thing to happen based on maybe what I've done, but hope is acknowledging there's something far bigger than me at play here. And it, it must be involved. Whatever that it is for a Christian, that's, right. that's God. Yeah. But would you say that's, that's accurate? That's right. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, that we, everybody likes to cite uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, I believe it is. Um, or 31 it's in the Jeremiah 29. Oh, always some Bible trivia. What's of, a, of the plans I have for you. That's right. Yeah. To give you a, Hope. Yeah. But if you read through all of Jeremiah, especially in Jeremiah 29, the book of Daniel, you'll see that hope is based upon a number of rigorous things mm. that the nation of Judah had to do, first of which was recognize reality. And um, the reality is you get the leaders you deserve. Mm. And um, the hope... Uh, I like how Churchill put it, you know, democracy is the worst form of government until you examine all the others. <laughs> and so you have to have uh, a, a uh, hope. It's pretty darn rigorous. And I find, um, I, I, at least I believe that a, uh, <clears throat> I'll call it a more careful consideration of what's going on in the nation of Judah was God was returning them to what is often called the first heaven. And right there, we lose a lot of uh, Christians. So I th I'd like to talk about that. Uh, that the, <clears throat> the biggest takeaway for if you're a Christian, so we're just going to keep this thing uh, small and close because the first heaven was considered to be the atmosphere in and around your body. And so if you're a listener, just stretch your arms out, make a big circle. 
And that's called the first heaven. God saturates that space. And if you don't have any sort of governance over your body, that would include how you think about politics, then we can't really talk about changing the world. We can't talk about anything else because uh, God is uh, you're not having God rule in the first heaven. So forget everything else. Just for for some context, first heaven, is that a... Uh, a more traditional Jewish understandings that go back, you know, roots to. Um, oh, it goes it goes all the way through until the Enlightenment. Well, See, uh, right. I, I guess my question was that's oh, not necessarily right. an early church thing. That goes all no, the way back. No. Yeah. Genesis one one says, "I'm going to test you here early in the morning." In the beginning. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> God created. <laughs> yes. Keep going. Uh, I don't know what's next. God created <laughs> the heavens and the earth. Oh, ah, very good. Plural heavens. There you go. Heavens, plural. See, right there. I, and I hate to say it, but, you know, Lewis talked about this invisible wall that we over in the, in the 21st century, when he said this, it was the 20th, don't see most of the world before the Enlightenment, actually before the 1800s. And here's a good example. The heavens. Heavens, plural. What? See, God is heaven, which is eternal. <clears throat> so it's, he didn't create heaven. He is the abode of God. Heaven is the abode of God. When we sing about heaven as a wonderful place, it's, it's really not a place. It's more of a person. That's why Paul went up to the third heaven, peered into eternity, and he came away and told the Corinthians, who didn't do a particularly spectacular job of taking care of their bodies, he said, here's where it all ends. God becomes all in all. Whoa. Yeah, it says we're unfolded into Jesus and he's unfolded into God, which he already is. So you go, I don't get that. And you go, exactly. Paul said, I saw things I can't even explain. <laughs> yeah. It, the first time I heard you talk about the heavens, I was like, all right, I, I like Metzger. I trust Metzger. I'll buy it. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, as I went on, I was like, yeah, but who else is going to buy this? <laughs> so I did, I did some, some Googling and a little bit of research and, um, and it's, it's worth doing if, if, if you haven't heard of this thing of the, the first, second or third heaven and you're skeptical, um, it's worth, it's worth looking up. There's definitely some, some interesting scholarship on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is why Lewis's book published year after his death, uh, the discarded image is this image of these heavens, which is all through the medieval church, the early church, the Asian church, the African church, uh, Judaism to this day. Um, there were these three spheres of heavens extending up and out of your body. And the first one was the immediate space about you. Now my whole point in this again is you're not really governing well there. And we've talked before about porn and what have you, anger, uh, all sorts of things that the, the, the uh, that uh, screw tape loves to have uh, wrangling through our body and uh, really making us uh, useless. Um, then, when there's no sense in talking about politics and blah 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 blah, but instead, I think what we're seeing is again the example here with this polarization is what uh, Ian McGilchrist uh, talks about is our bias for the left hemisphere and here's why so here we go in fact anything I can do to help this morning would be in this the left hemisphere is drawn more to single issues it doesn't understand complexity 
And here's what I mean by that. People who, it likes to reduce down complex arguments into a simple syllogisms. It could be uh, uh, hate is bad. Well, you know, that's a nice bumper sticker, but the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is God says in the book of Malachi, I hate divorce. But Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother and brother and sister and whatever, you, you can't follow me. Now you try to put that together. Mm -hmm. that's so <laughs> I hope my point is made there that, so we live in a polarized world and here's, here's the examples of a bias for the left hemisphere. Uh, the right versus the left. There's another yeah. one. Yeah. Conservative versus liberal. Right. Even take an issue, oh, you know. That's right. Gun rights, abortion rights, you know, like. That's right. Singular topics. Yeah. So I'm going to introduce you to something in a moment. I'm heading towards C.S. Lewis's book, Paralandra. But so fire up the rocket and wait a moment before we climb on. <laughs> take conservative liberal. See, the left hemisphere thinks either or. You're either yeah. conservative or you're liberal. And we've talked a bit about this, but the fact of the matter is the uh, a thoughtful Christian is both and. There are some things. Liberal means broad, generous. Actually seems to align a bit more with the right hemisphere, which is broadly vigilant. And so what that says is, uh, here's my notion of God. Here's how I understand Jesus. But I might not be entirely right. Over here on the left is uh, the conservative, which rightly so, some things ought to be conserved. Creeds, traditions, so on and so forth, what would be called orthodoxy. We're supposed to be both and. Now, so today, what we're seeing is not conservative, liberal, or right versus left. That is a bias for the left, taking complex issues and boiling them down to something it will fit on a bumper sticker. If you're a Christian and you've fallen for this, um, shame on you, the best way to put it. I think you're, you're blind to the older faith, which would, and here's how many put it, and this would be more helpful. We've talked about it in other podcasts, but we're going to move on from it, but at least put a stake in the ground on this. The right versus left or, cons or conservative versus liberal, the way it's stated today, is actually conservatism versus progressivism. And here's what I mean. Conservatism is the idolatry of the conservative view. This sort of, my country, love it or leave it. It's Christian nationalism. And so conservatism is, uh, I know what I believe, damn it, I'm right. I know about God, gospel, I know how God feels about this and this and this and this and this. Um, progressivism is a term that was introduced in the, eight, in the uh, 19th century by various people. We're not going to worry about it, but it basically turns time into a linear view. Think of the ascent drawings of ape to man. You don't have to be an evolutionist to believe this. Progressivism simply feels that time never goes backwards and only goes forward and it only evolves upward. Yeah. And so once you get that in view in mind, partly why Lewis wrote Paralandra is he had ransom go to a planet that hadn't fallen and said, <clears throat> Oh no, it can, it can evolve or it can devolve. <laughs> it can go either way. But progressivism doesn't view that. 
So it views, um, uh, in fact, uh, President Obama tipped his hand when he said um, many years ago, he who at one time was a, uh, believed in uh, marriage defined as permanent monogamous heterosexual, he said, my view on these things is evolving. Mm. And no one even imagined, how do you know, could be devolving. So that's what I mean by progress. So progressivism tends to be more the domain of the left, but again, it shows a bias to the left hemisphere that boils it all down to um, everything that we are uh, developing is an evolution upward. Uh, on the other side, conservatism is just a, a clenched fist, angry, uh, make America great again. <laughs> Um, it has to be said that baldly, th those are two dead ends. Those exhibit a, a bias for the left hemisphere. So before I take you to Paralandra, I'm sure there's a few questions you have. I mean, yeah, I, I get everything you're saying. One of the, one of the questions that stood out is, you know, and maybe, maybe we need to talk about Paralandria for this, but in red versus blue, is there... Uh, what's my role as a believer if I'm sitting in a group of friends and suddenly I find myself with other individuals who are thinking about red versus blue and talking about red versus blue and them versus us? You know, do I just sit silently and pray? <laughs> do I do I say something? Do I ask questions to gauge dominion? Um, are there questions you would propose to ask? You know, that that's what came to mind. So I don't I don't know if we'll jump into that yet, but. Yeah. No, that's that's a. Uh, I'm going to butcher the saying, but someone said that the fights are so ferocious because the stakes are so small. <laughs> uh, and so funny. all of this, um, yeah, I'm more and more reluctant to dive in. I, I would suggest <clears throat> beyond prayer. Uh, I throw out a five-pound test line. It's called a question. And then I wait, and nine times out of ten, no one bites. So I simply pull the line back in and listen. Um, maybe I don't even listen. A five-pound test line would be something like this. What makes you think it's just right versus left? Hmm. Now, if I get back a lecture trying to enlighten me... <laughs> reel that just, sucker back in. <laughs> well, you know... There are some um, there are some real blessings about getting older. You know, I don't feel older, but I am older. And part of the older is I go, man, I have vented my spleen on a lot of things. And they're what uh, Jesus said. Um, you just uh, it's just a waste of time. Nobody asks. And furthermore. That's why it said Jesus couldn't do many miracles. They just simply weren't receptive. And so here's, I thought God was omnipotent. Here's another one that's difficult for Christians to understand. God can do anything. No, he can't do anything. Can't lie. Jesus says he couldn't do some things because of their disbelief. Now, if Jesus can't pull off some miracles in some towns because of their disbelief, Mike Metzger certainly can't make a dent in someone's thinking. <laughs> if uh, they are... <laughs> that fixed in what they believe. And so I would suggest beyond prayer, which I do pray for many of my friends, 
I think there's a sobriety here, Pat, that um, as uh, you know, we're fans of Ian McGilchrist and says, we're trapped in a hall of mirrors, reflecting back to us only what we know, we think we know, that we think we know, that we think we know. That's it. We're trapped in a hall of mirrors. And it doesn't matter if you are a what, if you're a Republican or a Democrat. And it's why it just, um, it would be silly if it weren't sad. It would be, uh, um, I really don't know what it will take, but it is evidence. I think brain science helps us see. Actually, I do know there's only two ways it goes, but we can talk about that perhaps when we get to the end. I'm more, I'm more uh, interested in just putting this before listeners, this uh, Lewis's Paralander, and here's why. So, so if you're not familiar with the book, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, Dr. Elwin Ransom, the first book is Kidnapped. He's taken up to uh, Mars. And um, and then he discovers the Earth has fallen. And then uh, after that, uh, second book, Paralandra, he is uh, taken up to uh, Venus, and there he meets the Green Lady. This is an unfallen planet, but the same little dastardly devils who are trying to screw things up in Mars, they're over there in Venus, trying to uh, take them down by urging the people to transgress this law, to live on the fixed lands. The little, the little devils, so to speak, are yeah, sorry. Watson, Watson is there, and Watson is actually starting to look rather hideous. He'll look really hideous in the third book. That just tells you, Lewis is saying, this isn't just a naturalism world. There is spiritual things going on. Mm. So Watson is trying to persuade the green lady who is not, it's like Eve. She's naively, wonderfully innocent and is evolving in her wisdom. Wise innocence. Name of our, one of our granddaughters, Sage Lily. Hmm. Listeners who are young moms are writing that name down right now. So, <laughs> um, the green lady. And uh, which is fascinating, the book of Genesis, Lucifer goes after Eve, who embodies without her knowing it, which will one day be called God's bride, the church. So go after the bride. That's why she's created second after Adam, who embodies the bridegroom, Jesus, who is eternal. And Watson is encouraging her all the good things would happen if you live on the fixed lands. Because as you know, the story, they're floating on these luxuriant oceans. I mean, the descriptions are just like oh, heavenly. And they can visit the fixed lands, but they're not to live on them. What's going on there? I would guess there's something about, you know, uh, you said they can visit the fixed lands, but mm -hmm. uh, and these are these are not the lands that are. No, these are the hills and mountains are green and beautiful. And they're not fallen. They're gorgeous. I don't know. I don't know what is going yeah. on. Yeah. So uh, ransom at one point goes. Well, what's wrong with living in the fixed lands? Our entire planet is fixed lands. And the green lady is horrified. Huh. 
then there's something wrong with your planet. That can't be. Okay, so let me reel you in here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. There are things about God, so to say, that absolutely are fixed, as we might say. He is holy. He is omnipotent. He is. The fact of the matter is, we are finite. And to nail it down to six orthodox positions, this is God, period. This is the gospel, period. We got these things fixed. McGill Chris puts it this way. The left hemisphere loves to pin things down. Mm. And what happens is you actually lose connection with the one true God who is an infinite sphere, whose center is everywhere, and whose circumference is nowhere. Now you're saying, what? <laughs> I just quoted standard view of God from the third century Egyptian Christian church writings all the way up through C.S. Lewis mentions this in his book, The Discarded Image. In other words, God is a mystery. Knowable? Yes. Are there things we can know about him with confidence? Yes. With absolute certainty that nothing in what we hold about him could ever be in any way massaged or moved slightly or enhanced? No. But, 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 but Mike, he, he's a triune God, yes. Father, Son, Spirit, yes. That's fixed, yes. How does that, how do they intermingle? I don't know. I just know it is. That's why that's all we have to do is affirm. You can visit the fixed lands because they are fixed. But most of the earth is water. Most of the surface of the earth is water. And Jesus alludes to water far more than he does to land. And so I think what we've, the problem, Pat, is we have decided to live on the fixed lands in politics, whether they be, however you define it, but those fixed lands will drive you deep into the left hemisphere where once you've got this thing nailed, you know what God feels about this thing here. You ain't changing. Come hell or high water. And the problem is, you have raised quarter million dollars by fervent supporters who buy us the left hemisphere, who sure as hell ain't going to let you change your mind on some of these things mm -hmm. or modify. So in the first heaven, you're not, you, have, you have no vision, imagination as to what's happening in the first heaven and how in your body, especially your brain, you are deep into the left hemisphere. That's, yeah, this is, this is helpful. The one thing that came to mind was, you know, you've often talked about 
leading with a metaphor and even in sermons, you know, if you want to have a lasting mm-hmm. impression, it's, it's far better to lead with a metaphor. And I just, I couldn't help but think this is a textbook example of that. If, uh, if any of our listeners are trying to, to, to grasp or comprehend what you mean by that, I think this is a textbook example of, you just laid a great metaphor and I have a, I have this image seared in my mind of these fixed lands now and how that relates to, politics, political views, and the enlightenment. That was great. So, yeah, that was a good example. Ain't original. It's, oh, uh, you sure. know, yeah. So, we, you know, high regard. And Lewis, you know, took a lot of this from, uh, he always said, listen, we're borrowing from the ancients, which is another thing. Again, what I grieve is, um, you, you know, Lewis said, he took this from uh, George MacDonald and, his writings, but uh, not, don't try to be original. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, he wasn't being original here, but uh, the metaphor, it was just carrying over all sorts of ideas you see all through scripture, but th- that is a powerful metaphor. You're right. And uh, I, in the same way, have this vision of uh, when I'm in these conversations, these people living on the fixed land, if they are, they're not going to budge. Now, is there, by the way, you read McGilchrist, he said, and the problem with the left hemisphere is ultimately it's lifeless because it's static, rigid, abstractions. It talks about concepts, principles, worldviews. I, I, you know, I'll, every week I'm with someone going, you know, this, this concept in the marital gospel is pretty interesting. I go, see, that just... That just shows it's not part of your first heaven at all. <laughs> you just I'm gave away your game. <laughs> you just gave away the game. Yeah, I don't say I'll. I smile. I go, you just gave away the game. That's funny. It really it is funny. And it doesn't mean, gosh, you want to listen to these podcasts, the two brightest guys on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. That's not it at all. You know, what it is, is a willingness to open your body and let God penetrate you deeply. And if that sounds sexual, that's exactly right. Our bodies tell God's story. And most Christians in the Western Hemisphere know hardly anything about contemplation, silence, solitude, and letting God penetrate their body so deeply, a la book of Hebrews, because the word of God is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. See, that's the immaterial part of your body and the material part of your body. And judge the thoughts and intentions of your conscience. I'm afraid, my friend, most of the political realm is saturated now with the arrogant conscience mm-hmm. and the defiled conscience, which looks to a politician as your savior, even if you believe in Jesus. Or the seer conscience that says, I really don't give a damn. I want this role. And if it means that I trample on these people, it's for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So I would demean and castigate them and say nasty things about them and 
belittle them or exaggerate. Yeah, I just. I heard. Uh, I heard a just. A, it was a beautiful prayer on Sunday. One of uh, one of the singers during worship was was praying and and you know just seemed to be rolling. You know, it wasn't didn't seem to be too rehearsed. It was just a, a genuine prayer and praying. Uh, you know, God, you are our our leader. You are our king. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens on Tuesday. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter what, uh, or, or you are greater than our governors. You are greater than our presidents. You are great. You know, it doesn't matter what regime is in charge. You are our ultimate King. And it was just a, you know, a prayer of praise and glory. And I, mm-hmm. I just, my, my heart was moved of like, yes, this is, it was, it was refreshing, very refreshing to my spirit mm-hmm. for someone <clears throat> like that, who, you know, has a hint towards getting to, towards understanding or seeing just this, this be- beautiful thing. And who knows what that person's like in their personal life. But uh, I'm curious moving beyond, or no, I shouldn't say beyond mm-hmm. moving, moving through, you know, there's, there's maybe there is deep seated contemplation or maybe, maybe now you're talking to a bit of the audience that um, has been saturated in time of contemplation and, and has felt a deep penetration of, uh, even conviction of, of this political world. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. What, what's your advice to them? Well, let's close on, um, let's return to that prayer you heard, which you did rightly note, um, to its credit, it was genuine. Yeah. Um, I knew you're going to pick it apart though. <laughs> no, we don't want to be known as a pick apart, but, um, so, you know, we're members of a, uh, what's, what would be called a, pre-enlightenment, thick liturgical church, where part of its tradition, often a bad word for a lot of people, is to pray weekly for our government leaders because it does matter who is elected. Wow, you know, it's it's wild you say that because and I may have I may have uh, misconstrued his words, but it's it's funny when I was sitting the first time I sat in an Anglican church service that was the weekly prayer was praying for our president, praying for our leaders. And I was mesmerized. I could not believe that was happening and shows my ignorance of many faith traditions, but it, it was another moving moment of, wow, isn't this right? Isn't this so right on? Yep. Anglican, Orthodox, Catholic, Roman Catholic, they will all pray using the first name, the given name. That's, there's even an important thing there, but, uh, they would rule because, um, yes, if you are a uh, not a politicized Russian Orthodox, but if you are a genuine Russian Orthodox, you can see the value of praying because it does matter who your mm-hmm. president is. And um, so I would say this twofold. Number one would be um, listeners, if you don't, open your entire body, material and immaterial, to God to let him penetrate as your bridegroom the way he wishes. He will not hurt you, but he will perhaps hurt you by exposing idols, the idol perhaps of the fixed land. I can't tell you that when I was a pastor, the number of parents I knew who were crushed by God because they had 
made Proverbs 21.6 part of the fixed land. Raise up this child, away she go, and they'll never depart from it. And the child had departed. Mm-hmm. But I would say in the, uh, if you don't open your body to how you are politicized, regardless of your views. And then second, to the point we just talked about, if your church doesn't embody this, it's, it may, it's now twice as hard to embody it as an individual. You cannot think institutions and then disregard that your church is a mini institution. And if in fact, prayers for elected officials are um, ad hoc or spontaneous given an election coming up, but are not part of the faithful routine of being a faithful believer, as Paul said, pray for those in authority. Pray, because it does matter. See, idolatry is making too much of it. But in most churches, it's just the opposite. It's not idolatry, it's ignorance. We make too little of it and say, well, but ultimately God's in control. Hmm. And you go, what a simplistic syllogism. Small wonder we get... we do get the leaders we deserve. I think if we took enough time to be quiet, if you read To Change the World by James Davison Hunter, he actually says Christians ought to spend the next season in silence. The next season. You can try to interpret what season means, but I think he's basically saying we do far more damage these days when we open our mouth than if we didn't say anything. Even praying out loud Unless you join the rhythms of two-thirds of the worldwide church, which is essentially praying the same prescribed prayers every week for the political realm. 